This is the Untitled Female Podcast, and today I'm speaking with Ricky Friedman. So if you don't want to listen to the intro, you can skip to when you hear the track that you just heard. It's coming up ahead, and that'll get you straight to the conversation. But I do think it's important for you to know who Ricky Friedman is. She is the founder of Break the Weight. Let me tell you about how I first met Ricky. It was around 2006. We were both visiting friends at Michigan State University. The first thing I noticed about her was that she was beautiful. In my mind, it seemed that Ricky had her shit together. She had this sexy, raspy voice. She was opinionated and seemingly unapologetically herself. It felt like she didn't give a shit about what others thought of her, so she was a total girl crush for me. To me, that was the kind of freedom that I could only dream of. I saw her again around 2014. We were at a house party and started talking about eating issues. I was battling with my own and she was a survivor, so she spoke to me about how she found a way to love herself. At that moment, really, she felt like the only person in the world who understood me, but I wasn't ready to hear her. And that's how things work. You know, you're never ready for recovery until you're ready for recovery. Ricky was the first person I emailed once I launched Untitled Female. I had followed her through social media secretly admiring her bravery to speak about the traumas which have shaped her. She wrote about losing her mother to cancer at a very young age. She wrote about her struggle with anxiety and depression. She wrote about her body and her negative relationship with food. She felt heavy emotionally. So she decided to start Break the Weight and that's what she's all about and that's how her business started. Yes, she will help you lose weight. Yes, she will get you back on track, feeling great about your body and loving yourself, but Ricky is more than that. She digs deeper. She's there to change the way we feel about food by changing how we feel about ourselves. There's a lot here. I felt like I had a therapy session with her and I think you will too. The best part about her is she brings humor into everything, so there's a lot of laughs in this as well. And she just she tells it how it is. She's unapologetically Ricky. So let's begin. reason why I love the way that you titled your your company and what you do is break the weight that a lot of the times the weight that we have isn't so much the physical aspect of it's it's that emotional baggage that we carry along with us I, I think with a lot of projects that anybody starts or a lot of businesses that anybody starts they often come from a place of your own pain um, and of your own experience and I, I'd love for you to kind of set us up and talk a little bit about your childhood and specifically your relationship with your mom and, and how things evolved there. So I lost my mom when I was 13. She died of cancer. She had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and she was sick for five years on and off. And I grew up with a family of boys and I was the youngest. And so I really, I watched my mom go through chemo and the hospitals and She did eventually die when I was 13. And after she died, I really lost, you know, I didn't know who I was in general because I was such a little girl, but it was such a pivotal time in my life. And there were so many things that I needed my mom there for. And I suffered a lot. I mean, just from my childhood, just from like 13 years old to, you know, 18 years old, I, there were so many things I didn't understand about life. And there were so many questions that I have. And it says that our brains don't process grief until we're in our 20s. Hmm. So yeah, my mom died and I knew that she was gone. 
but I didn't know how to process that information. So the way that I processed it was through my body and my weight. And I really developed a terrible relationship with myself because I was in such pain over my mom's loss, but I didn't know how to understand it or how to grieve for it. So instead of grieving for my mom, I took all the anger and put it towards myself. Mm -hmm. So I suffered greatly with my body. I was, you know, suffered greatly with the way that I looked. I had poor self-image. I was angry all the time. And although in the midst of all of this, I lived my life because I'm always the kind of person who just lives her life to the fullest, I was in a lot of pain for a long time. And when you're in a lot of pain and someone is telling you that the pain is because of the loss of someone, but you're not able to connect it, you don't understand why you're feeling the way that you feel. Mm -hmm. And for a really long time, I would be like, that doesn't make sense because my mom's been gone for five years. Like, how could I possibly still miss her? Like, how could this possibly still be affecting my life? Mm -hmm. Turns out it affects your life forever in different ways. And I just wasn't dealing with it because I wasn't able to deal with it. What were some of those things that you were doing? Uh, you talk about low self-esteem. Um, can you talk a little bit about yeah. that? I, well, it first started with my skin. So I hated my skin, like any normal girl going through puberty, except that everything was really amplified for me. So I wasn't just a girl who hated her skin. I was a girl who hated her skin. Meanwhile, I had like five pimples. I was a girl who hated her skin, who wore a baseball cap to school because I hated who I was. And I remember I went on Accutane three different times because I really believed that if my skin was clear and beautiful, that everything else would be all right. Mm -hmm. And so it started off with my skin. And then once my skin was clear and beautiful after being on Accutane three times, which is, I don't know if you know much about Accutane, one of the most like harmful drugs out there for your skin, mm -hmm. for your body. It's like people go off it all the time because they're, they get depressed on it. So here I was already depressed, going on another depressant to fix my skin because I thought, if I have beautiful skin, maybe I won't be in so much pain. Right. Once my skin was clear, I went right to my weight. And I struggled with my body for about 12 years. I went on every single diet. I was always very little, but I went on every single diet. I didn't go out anymore. I didn't. I really hated who I was. I, I mean, I would count every calorie. I worked out like, I would work out like hours and hours upon the day. I mean, at my whole entire life was revolved around food and my weight. So let me pause you for a second. Food and, and weight, there's these are two separate things, but in, intertwined. Meaning, what did you feel food was doing for you? So it really wasn't food. It was really my weight. So, okay. right? So my focus was how do I become skinny? Mm -hmm. Because if I'm skinny and I'm physically light... And I will be emotionally light. Got it. Just like my skin. If my skin is beautiful, I will feel beautiful. So in my head, the littler that I was, the lighter that I would feel internally. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't food. Food was just the thing that I used because I couldn't control anything else in my life. Everything else in my life was just like a mess. Mm -hmm. It was dark. I wasn't going to bring my mom back. I couldn't control that guy who broke my heart. I couldn't control all these different things. So I thought if I could just control what I put into my body which will control my weight, which will control how I feel about myself. So it was just this like tunnel. So mm -hmm. it was like food, weight, how, and like feeling light. That was how I, I associated everything. So the minute I felt out of control of my life, I just picked food to control. 
so I could control my weight. And I always really, truly believed that the littler that I was, I really thought that the lighter I'd feel internally. Can you explain a little bit about processing grief? Um, because as you mentioned that we, we don't fully start processing it until we're in our twenties. I'm, and I'm wondering what, what else, like, what do you know about this? So I know that our body, I know that our bodies and our minds, they really, they do a good job of protecting us. So if you know, if you go through something, right, they said that you're in denial or that you're in shock because your body and your mind literally work together and they only give you what you can handle. Mm -hmm. So as a child, when you lose a parent, first of all, it's very uncommon. You're not supposed, it's not, so that's not the way that events happen. Right. Mm -hmm. So here I was this person who was supposed to be in my life forever. Who's literally never supposed to leave you leaves. And it's impossible to process because you're just processing the fact that your mom just literally physically isn't there. Yeah. So to be able to process that she's emotionally not there too. Like I remember I went to camp after the summer, my mom died and I just kept remembering like, it wasn't a big deal because I was at camp and she was at home, but she wasn't like she was dead. And, that, and when I came back from camp, I remember going into my room and I remember sitting there and being like, oh shit, like now what? And I wasn't able to process the fact that my mom was dead. I just knew that something was missing and that this person wasn't coming back, but it didn't make a lot of sense to me mm -hmm. because there was so much anger and there was so much sadness, but I, I couldn't verbalize it to anyone because to quite frankly, no one really could tell me what to do. So even if I talked about it, no one had a manual for it. No one was like, hey, Ricky, like, here's how you're going to feel. And like, you're going to go through these things. And here's what's going to happen. It was it wasn't as common when I lost my mom, because I was one of the first like in in Michigan to like have really experienced a big loss of a parent. And so not only did I not know what was going on, but no one else around me could help me process the grief. And so I think when you're young, you, you're not, you're just not mentally developed. Like you don't have the tools. Right. So if you think about it from now, I have the tools because I've learned the tools because my brain is more mature and because I understand and know things that how could you know at 15 years old or 13 years old? Not to mention you have throw all the other things into the mix of just growing up in general. Mm -hmm. So take out the loss, take out the, and throw in the puberty and the boy problems and just the average stuff of life. Yeah. And, and that was, and that was kind of what I was going to say is childhood in itself, the transition between a young girl into teenager is, is so difficult and we're not really well equipped based on the education that we get. There's not much of right. there's not a class of emotional intelligence or there are no, you know, specific counselors on how to deal with anything from like your body changing to how to speak to boys or why are boys mean or, or why are girls bullying me all of these things um and and even more so once you reach the age of college um you know especially during that time you just you finally have a sense of freedom but what does that really mean you know right. and I'm wondering for someone like you you know as hard as it is for any girl to kind of figure out what kind of a woman she is or should be or can be how did you figure out who you are as a woman without a mother you know I don't think that I did figure it out for a long time I think I was just trying to survive for a very long time I think that you know for me I, I threw myself into different things so I when I was 20 I decided that I needed to learn I needed to separate myself from 
my family. I needed to understand what I was feeling independently of what everyone else was feeling. So when I was 20 years old, I signed up for an outward bound trip. So I lived in the wilderness for 50 days. I lived in Colorado, in like deep, deep in the wilderness. I had no self-confidence about myself. Didn't know who I was. I, I only knew that I was a girl whose mom died. And I was just starting to understand that concept. I mean, she died when I was 13. And, and when I was 20 years old, I finally opened the door and, been, and was like, okay, you know what? Like, I'm going to go do something that challenges me to my core, physically and mentally. Because I always felt that my physical outlets always seemed to have helped me grieve. Even though I didn't realize that I was really grieving, it pushed me. So when I would work out or when I would go on a walk, I always felt internally lighter. Mm -hmm. So I knew that if I could combine something that emotionally challenged me with something that physically challenged me, that maybe I could get something out of it. Right. And it was the first time in my life where I felt my mom around me hmm. every second of every day. And I was able to finally feel my loneliness and feel my pain and realize that the woman that I was when I was, when I was a little girl and maybe the woman that I was supposed to be with my mom was, a, had she been alive, didn't exist anymore. Mm -hmm. So I had to become a new woman and there was no manual for it. And there was no mom for it. And it was really up to me. I had to take myself from away from who I thought that I was supposed to be and put it away because that wasn't who I was anymore. And I wasn't able to change it. Now this big traumatic event happened to me. So it's not how do you navigate through it? You just sort of say, okay, this thing happened. How do I become the next? How do, how do I open the next chapter? How can I take this loss and become the person that I am meant to be now and let go of the person who I think that I should have been? Because it had my mom been alive, we probably wouldn't even be having this podcast. And so I had to come to accept that like, I wasn't that person anymore right. and it was okay. I was going to say, so in a way it's kind of this double loss. It's, you know, yeah. double grief, a grief of losing your mother and then a grief of losing this idea of who you thought you were with your mother. Yeah. And I lost my childhood. I really did. I lost it. I mean, I didn't have one. Like it was so weird to me. I mean, I did have one. I mean, I'm very a supportive family, but you know, it's a little stuff. Like I didn't, I didn't know that like your mom was supposed to take you get a haircut. Like, I remember all my girlfriends were going to get their haircuts when they were like 15. And I didn't understand like why their moms took them. Because to me, I didn't do that. Or like, I didn't go to the dentist for like five years because like, no one like told me to. Or like when I asked my dad, like money for a prom dress, he literally gave me $25. <laughs> it's like little stuff like that, that you realize like, it doesn't define you. But you don't, if you don't know it, you do you realize like, you feel different. Like I felt different. I felt like no one understood me. Like my girlfriends didn't, they knew me to a point, but they could never understand the pain that I was going through. So really the big thing for me is that I felt really out of place. Right. I was so alone and they're sending me to a therapist who's 60 years old, whose mom died when she was 13. And I'm like, listen, that's great. But like, I don't want to talk to a 60 year old. I want to talk to like a 28 year old who's going to be like, Hey, you're going to be all right. And so I felt I felt like out of place, like for a very long time, because I, I couldn't relate to anyone. Did you feel that because you grew up with brothers and your dad, there's this masculinity that maybe did you feel like you need to conform a little bit to that? Like, did you feel more connected to men because of that or no? No, I don't think I felt more connected to men. I think that I think I felt disconnected to everyone. 
I think I was so mm-hmm. afraid to be connected because I was so scared that if I put myself out there and I'm vulnerable, that person is going to leave. That person's going to die. That person's going to reject me. And not that my mom left me. I'm, I don't like, you know, a lot of people, when someone loses someone, their first thought is like, what did I do wrong? You know, that's a very, it's a very child thing to think like that mommy left. Like, what did I do? I never mm-hmm. felt that way. I never felt like she did that on purpose. Like, I know she didn't want to leave. I said bye to her. I knew she didn't want to leave. But subconsciously, you don't really believe that. You do really believe that you were rejected and that the person who was supposed to love you forever literally left you. And so I never felt connected to anyone. I didn't even feel connected to myself. I didn't know what was going on. So letting anyone in felt exhausting to me. In my, in my relationships with guys, I was like deeply affected by the loss of my mother. I chose people that were so unavailable that they I knew they were going to leave me no matter what. So I'm very curious about that psychology and that pattern because I think that oftentimes when I talk to my girlfriends or through my own personal experiences as well, this idea of the emotionally unavailable man, <laughs> um, from your experience, why is that that we, we, we tend to gravitate to that person who will inevitably leave us like we know subconsciously they're going to leave us so why go there because we don't like who we are I mean you don't pick someone who treats you like shit and who's going to leave you if you like who you are it is as simple as that and so you and it's and and when you find the right person it doesn't mean that you don't still have those thoughts because you do you still have those like is this person going to leave me I'm still vulnerable. I'm scared to be vulnerable, but it's different this time because you're picking someone who's solid. So when you're not solid about who you are, how can someone else be solid about you? And so I was picking these people. I was also trying to get them to fill me up. I thought that if they could love me, I could love me. If they could provide me comfort, that I I could be in less pain. But I ended up being in more pain because eventually when they did leave me, because I obviously drove them away by being crazy because, you know, whatever, we all fucking are. And when they did leave me, my first thought was like, of course, poor me. Mm-hmm. And then it was like this vicious cycle. And so when you pick someone who's unlovable, it's because you're unlovable. So now with the current relationship that you have, what are the differences? I think, first of all, I did the work. I've done the work. I've worked really hard to become a solid person, to like who I am. And I picked someone who could like me for me. And I picked someone who was Mm -hmm. solid. And our relationship is so different because it's not that I'm walking into this relationship without those issues. It's just different because I'm able to talk about them from a different perspective. And so instead of living through all the issues and, and doing all that erratic behavior that we do, instead of pushing this person away, I'm able to say, hey, I'm in a really good place, but I'm starting to feel that those anxieties come up. Let's talk about that. Right. And I'm not trying to pretend that they don't exist, but I'm not, I'm also not letting them take over my relationship because the relationship I'm in now is so important to me because it's the right relationship, but it, only because I did the work. And so when I met this person, I was feeling really good about myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't need to change who I was. I didn't need to push this person away because I felt lovable. I felt like he could love me. Because I loved me. And that if he didn't love me, I didn't really fucking care. Right. Because I wasn't going to give someone a part of me that I didn't think deserved it. And so I think when you raise your standards, people will meet them. And also probably in the sense that if they don't align with you, 
you're good. Right. You know, they don't, there isn't that void. I, I always like saying that it's not, you know, two become one. It's two people walking alongside each right. other. That's it. It's just a compliment. You, you elevate one another, but you're certainly okay on your own. That was the problem in my other relationships. I really, truly believed. I think, and I, and I'm, and I think I'm certain that because my mother died, my heart was already broken. So I entered all these relationships with a broken heart and a, and a, lack of love for myself. And I really thought that if I could just find my person, if I could just find my person, that I would be able to work through everything and that everything would be okay. And it doesn't work like that because at the end of the day, you are two different individuals that are coming together to create a life together, but not to create one life together. Yeah. You can create all life together, but I'm very certain that this relationship I am now is not going to fill up every box and I don't, I don't need it to. And I don't really want it to because then it's just one relationship and I have to have many relationships. And I think that's the difference. I really, truly believe that when you, we're all just scared of being rejected. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're all scared of being vulnerable. We're all really scared of saying how we feel or showing someone who we really are just in case they might leave. Yes. Or just in case we're not liked or just in case it's, it's that good enough you know, am I good enough to be liked? Am I good enough, you know, in any capacity? Um, am I, right. Am I good enough to be myself and be loved for it? Right. Right. I want to kind of jump to, um, there's a lot here that, you know, we kind of went from your story to how you transitioned into who you are right now. We kind of missed that whole chunk of hitting rock bottom of, of, of coming to a place of just total. I've hit so many rock uh, bottoms. It's amazing. There's not, there's not even just one rock bottom, right? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Everything ebb and flow. You could hit rock bottom, you could hit something, and then you could be great, and then you could hit it again. Yeah, that's true. And then you hit it again. But it, the difference is, is that hopefully every time that you get down there again, you're able to get up faster each time. Yeah. I, as I've seen growing this Untitled Female project, it came from a place that had been building up for such a long time, but also from a place of my own personal struggles and things that I was going through. So it's interesting how I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the way that Break the Weight came about was really something that you were doing for yourself, probably that you wished somebody had helped you do. And then that transitioned into you finding what, what, what worked for you and then, you know, allowing it to help others. Yeah. So break the weight started when I was 23 and it really, I was in a really, really bad place in my life. Like always. And, um, I had a lot of eating issues. I had a lot of boy and I just had a lot of issues and I was in a dark place. I was living in Michigan mm-hmm. and my best friend at the time, Lulu came to me and she said, you know, she had 150 pounds to lose. And she said, Ricky, will you help me lose weight? And I sort of looked at her because you have to keep in mind that I had, my self-confidence was extremely low. Um, I did really bad in school. I've never really had someone look at me as someone that could help them. Mm-hmm. And I looked at her and I was like, I don't know how the fuck to do that. Like, I hate my body. Like, are you kidding? Like, you're asking me? Like, I literally hate who I am. Like, how am I supposed to help you? And she was like, well you just enrolled in a health coaching program, which I did ironically, like a two months before she came to me, I enrolled in this online health coaching program, Institute mm-hmm. for Integrated Nutrition. Mm-hmm. And 
I did it because I honestly did it because I was trying to figure out how to like get skinny, which is like mm-hmm. sick, but it's the truth. Mm-hmm. And so she said, well, you're enrolled in this program. And one of the things about the program is to like put yourself out there and experience. So it might make sense. And I, and I went, I remember going home that night. I remember thinking like, I'm so sick of myself. I'm so sick of my thoughts. I'm so sick of it. All the dark thoughts I have in my head. Like, what if I just start, what if I just throw myself into this? And so I said, okay. And so I built her a really simple daily system, which is the one that I use today. We decided to create a blog called break the weight. And we documented the whole journey for 290 days. And you got to see two people as friends and working together, really go through a lot, breaking breaking what weighed them down. So Mm -hmm. she had experienced the loss of her father when she was younger, you know, the loss of my mom. She talked about getting molested. I talked about battling with depression. And through all of this, I was coaching her. So I was learning learning stuff through the program that I was doing, but I was also learning stuff as we went. And we really teamed up, you know, I like moved in with her. We spent every day together. We documented the whole thing. And you really got to see two people evolve and breaking what weighed them down. After 290 days, she lost a hundred pounds. And I was like, oh my God, this is working. And I remember I started getting phone calls from people all over Michigan being like, I want you to break my weight. I want you to break my weight. I remember like, I remember thinking like, holy fucking shit. Like, what did I just start? Because it was the first time in my life that I had purpose. Mm. Someone else said, hey, Ricky, I believe in you. I think you could be a really good leader. And she took a leap. She took a leap of faith and she trusted me. And that's the biggest thing. Like someone else trusted me. Mm -hmm. And I didn't, it wasn't like I liked who I was, but she believed that I could do it. Mm-hmm. And she gave me an opportunity. And together we built this, I would say, this movement, this adventure. And we put it out there for people because we knew that if I was lonely and she was suffering, that so many other people out there must be feeling the same things. And yeah, she had 100 pounds to lose. And yeah, I didn't. But I had 100 pounds emotionally to lose. Mm-hmm. And so we were on the same journey, just not physically. And I think that that was a really cool thing to watch. You got to see two people really go through similar things, even at different physical weights. Right. And it made me realize it was all the same. Like we all suffer. And then after 290 days, she decided she wanted to, she was good on her own. I took break the weight and I ran with it and I, I turned it into my own thing. Where did the, the 10,000 steps come from? So walking was a form of therapy for me. Mm -hmm. I used walking as a way to get out of my head. Mm -hmm. So when I used to be in these really dark places, I would just take walks everywhere. And this was really before the whole steps and 10,000 steps a day thing came out. So what I would do is I would just put on my headphones and I would walk for hours. And I found it to be really therapeutic for me because it got my blood flowing. So it released some endorphins, but it also allowed me time to just like take a step back and and think. So Mm -hmm. I knew the benefits of it physically But I also finally understood the benefits of emotionally. So I just put this system together. And I thought that if those 10,000 steps worked for me, it would work for her. And I knew that she needed a really simple system so she could stick with it. And so I just put these three things together, three things that like we all should be doing anyways. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. knowing what you're putting into your body, movement and water. And I thought, okay, here's three really simple things. If you can be consistent with this, then I think that you'll have a shot. And it worked. So those three things and then accountability, correct? She ha- yeah, the accountability of it. So she had to complete those three things every single day. And because most people who struggle with their weight, I think most people who struggle with change in general, are it's because they're inconsistent, right? Mm-hmm. They do something for like a week and then they're done. Or they do something for two weeks and then something happens and they're done. So the goal was here, here's three things you have to follow. And for the first time in your life, you're going to do the same three things every single day, no matter what. And because she was doing these three simple things that she could sustain, she was building consistency. Right. And so she was learning how to be a consistent person, but also doing three things that were making her a more mindful person. Right. a more active person. And so the combination of just a really simple system and learning consistency, and I was her accountability. Got it. Mm-hmm. So the accountability was also the blog. So she would write, I would write. So we put it out there. So there's accountability right there. But I made sure that she got these three things done every day. For her clients now, because I do think a lot of, of that, as you talked about in terms of breaking the weight, is the emotional, emotional. side of it. So Habits. for clients now, how do they release that? side of it. So I had them follow the same system. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it's really through the conversations, you know, Mm -hmm. they come to me for weight and I get them very quickly to understand that it's not weight, it's habits. Mm -hmm. And so they want to talk about calories. and I tell them to replace the word calorie with choice Mm -hmm. because at the end of the day, it's no different than an addict, right? An addict walks in the room and they're using alcohol and they're using drugs. That's the thing that they're using. A person who's in an abusive relationship is using that relationship. A person who struggles with food is using food. And so getting them to understand that it's not about the food, that it's about why, it's the why, right? And the food is just, it's just the thing that they're using. And so I get them to transform the relationship with food so they can transform the relationship with themselves in return, transform their entire lifestyle. Right. But when people are focused on the thing, which is the food or the calories or the alcohol or the drug, they miss the real problem. It's no different than what I was doing when I was younger. I was like, fix my skin, fix my body. But had I take a step back and been like, okay, what's really going on here? Let me acknowledge my pain instead of running away from my pain. It's really being able to take a step back and look within, which doesn't mean that you don't, that you're not allowed to want to look good. Physically. My biggest thing is I think that if you can teach someone, if you can get someone, first of all, to understand that they're in the driver's seat, right? Of their own life, to empower someone to make the right choices. So the biggest thing here is especially with food and weight, everyone always says to me, like, what's the secret sauce? Like, you're so good at what you do. Like, what's the diet? What do you use? And I'm like, honestly, like, if you can learn when you're hungry and you can learn when you're full, then you are in control right. of, your, of what's happening. And that doesn't mean that you're going to be rail thin, but it also doesn't mean that there needs to be the other extreme. And so my whole big thing is like, it's not about like looking at, it's not about being rail thin, but I think that if you're not in touch with your, if you're not in touch with what your body is telling you, then there's a disconnect. Mm-hmm. So if you're extremely overweight and you're telling me that you're really happy with how you look and you're feeling really great about yourself and you love yourself from within, I think it's great. I mean, I'm not like, you know, I'm not super into that whole thing because in my head, I'm thinking, well, I don't know, because you're ignoring your body. You're not right. listening to your body. So your body is telling you that you're full, but you're still eating. So how can you really be connected? How do you really love yourself from within when you have a stomach ache 
or when you're not drinking enough water or you're eating when your body is telling you that it's not hungry. That's not love because love is listening. Like to me, the whole thing is like love yourself and within for sure. But you have to listen to what your body is saying to you. And I think that other people tend to go the other way because they don't want to necessarily do that work. Right. Because listening to yourself can all of a sudden uncover these things that you've spent a lot of time bearing. Right. And I think there's nothing wrong with a bigger body. It's, that isn't the point. I think that if you have a bigger build and you're listening to yourself, fine. But I think there's something to be said about like, are we actually listening to our bodies? I mean, Mm -hmm. my whole thing is like you food has no more power over you anymore. Once you look at food like that, once you're able to say, you know what, I could sit at the table and I could have three cakes in front of me. But as long as I can stop when I'm full, you have freedom. Mm -hmm. And I think that when you feel like you don't have freedom, that's when something controls you. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of clients that I work with have tried everything. I'm their last resort. I really am. I mean, I'm, I'm talking about like moms who are 70 to like, 26 year old girls who've tried Weight Watchers every single thing because I think once they realize that like this is so much more this is not about the weight this is about all the stuff in your life and that a diet isn't going to solve it Mm -hmm. and so I really am a last resort for people because I think people get tired of like trying something and it not working but they're not doing it the right way Mm -hmm. what would be some of your flaws that you would proudly champion (laughs) I get you want to ask my family members (laughs) (laughs) um my filter is a flaw, but it's also a blessing. I think that our biggest flaws are also our blessings. You know, I'm really antsy. That's a flaw, but it's also a blessing because I'm never settling and I'm a bit unorganized. That's a flaw. I don't celebrate that flaw because I think that certain flaws you should always try to be, evolve and work on. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm a little bit of a hurricane. I'm a little all over the place. And I think that that's a flaw, but I also think it's a blessing because it's it makes me an entrepreneur. It makes me want to like live my life. And so... I have a lot of flaws, but I don't look at them as flaws. I just look at them as like, it's who I am. Mm -hmm. Like they're not flaws. Like it's just like me. I'm like a champion for like characteristic. It's like, there are things about you that make you, you, Mm -hmm. and you don't apologize for them. Well, I do sometimes, but yes, you know, know, I think my biggest flaw is my lack of, um, my lack of consistency, which is funny because I teach consistency. And I think that's my biggest flaw. And I'm not proud of that flaw. And that's a flaw that I don't think has served me. Mm-hmm. And that's a flaw that I am, I think a lot of people struggle with. Lack of motivation and lack of consistency. Mm-hmm. And those two things combined can keep people from moving forward. And they've kept me from moving forward. But I think the good thing is Brene Brown, she says her idea of shame is that as soon as you speak it, yeah, it loses power. And so the fact that you know that that is what it is, I think it, it just loses power over time, you know? Totally. But it only loses power if you change it. Agreed. Agreed. So I can say that I'm inconsistent, but what the fuck does that mean if I don't work on it? Yes. And I struggle with it because I have anxiety. So when I sit down to actually do a task, sometimes I get so overwhelmed that I don't even know where to start. Mm. And so I'm not trying to be inconsistent. I'm not trying not to finish it. But there are certain things like that actually prevent me from doing something. So then you have to figure out, okay, like I know that that thing prevents me. What's the next thing that I can do to make this project or this happen right now? And so I use my toolbox. I'll go for a walk or, you know, I'll take a breath. Because if you struggle with something, you can't expect it to just go away. You have to have tools. 
Yeah, just a few more. We both love Tim Ferriss, and I'm stealing from him a little bit. <laughs> if you can just give me a brief definition of, of what feminism means to you. I'm like the worst feminist. Um, well, what, what does that even mean? Why would why why are you the worst uh, feminist? Well, I think that I'm not a bad feminist. I mean, I'm just not a feminist, so I'm not a bad feminist. I think that the most important thing is, I think, and I think that this is with anyone, a girl or a boy, I think you just really have to like stay true to who you are. Mm -hmm. You also, with staying true to who you are, you also have to be open to what other people say. Yes. A strong person is an open person. And so you meet, I've met a lot of people who are feminists that are very stuck in what they believe. Mm -hmm. And it's fine. I just think there's something to be said about being able to do both. Mm -hmm. So you can stick and you can say true to who you are, but you have to be open to what other people say. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't, and, this, and I do this anyways, like sometimes like I have an idea and like, I think it's a great idea, but I'm like scared to tell someone about it. And I don't know if it's, I don't think it's because I'm a woman. I just think it's because like, I'm scared of rejection. Mm -hmm. And so I think it all comes back to like being vulnerable, mm -hmm. like you have to be vulnerable. You have to be able to put yourself out there and be not nervous that you're going to get rejected. And if you do get rejected, knowing that like you're able to pick yourself back up and like you're, you can just try again. So feminism to me is like, it's a funny word. Cause like, I think I'm like not a feminist. I think I'm just like a peopleist. Like, I just think that like all rules apply, but I also grew up with a dad who was like very supportive and like ideas and like entrepreneurship. So I didn't really, I've never really felt like anything has been affected because I'm a woman, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. even though I know that, it, that I'm sure that it has. I've also never worked in a corporate world. So like, I don't know that, you know, I've never seen it from that angle. Yeah. I, I think the most challenging part about feminism is that we're so locked into this one definition. Right. And that definition worked when the initial movement began, but it's shifted so much it's no longer the idea to make us equals. Um, right. Again, it's not about, it is, a, it is about the sexes, but it's not about the, the difference in sexes. It's what you said, we're people. And I also think that everyone should be able to have their own definition um, to have this space and freedom to speak your truth um, and not to be afraid uh, to, to bring vulnerability with it. So, I think in a way that might be your definition. Yeah. And I, but I think that can, you know, I think that would apply to anyone. Yes, of course. Yeah, we know when you feel, you don't want to feel small. Mm -hmm. It's when you, when you feel small, when you feel like you can't speak up, mm -hmm. you feel like you can't do something. That's when you have to say, like, okay, like, it, it, do I really feel small or am I making myself feel small? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because it's usually us, right? So like we have the power to make certain choices, but we often hold ourselves back. Yeah. 100%. What's the lesson that took you the longest to learn? You think I've learned it yet? <laughs> that I can make choices on my own. And I don't need to ask everyone what they think about them. And I don't need my family's opinion all the time. And that I'm a big girl. You know, I can get in my car and go take a road trip if I want. I can start a business. I can get a dog even if no one agrees. I can do things. And I can make decisions. And I will be fine. And moving out to Colorado taught me that I was able to do that. Mm-hmm. Because I really valued, and I still do value my family and my friends and their opinions, but I think that you know yourself the best. People have a lot of things that they want to say, but you have to really, like, you really have to stay true to yourself. And so the more decisions I made on my own out there, even simple ones, an apartment or all these different things, even the bad ones, 
knowing that I could make the decision, fall on my face, but then get back up made me trust myself more. And so I think that's been a really big thing for me is that I'm, I feel more independent now because I'm, I'm not asking everyone what they think anymore. I'm able to say like, okay, Ricky, like, what do you think? Because you're a solid person now. So what do you think about this decision? Right. But you, you know, your core. Right. And that, it's just like when you're in a relationship, like you can ask all your friends what they think about it, but your friends don't know your person the way you know your person. So they can't give you maybe the advice that you're seeking. And oftentimes we already know what we're asking. That thing is, if you feel like you have to ask someone a hundred times what they think, it's probably not the right decision for you. Yes. That's also what I've learned. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you think I should go do this? Do you think I should go do this? Do you think I should go do this? All right. I've asked five different people if I think they should go do it. If I should do it, probably shouldn't do it. (laughs) I agree. Um, If you could give advice to your younger self, what would it be? I wish that I liked who I was more. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that I could have. I don't know that that even if I went back, I don't know that I really could have done it any differently because I think that this is how it goes. You learn. I don't know that I would be here today if I didn't. So... I think I would have, I think, I think I would have found the connection between the loss of my mom and all the bad things I was doing to myself. I wish I'd found that a little quicker, Mm -hmm. but I don't think it works like that, you know? Yeah. So I would have just like, liked who I was more. What do you think that girl then, you at 13, what would she think of you now? I think she'd be pretty happy. I I just think I, I surprised myself and that, and that goes right back to say, it's like, we, It's that self-love. Like, she'd be pretty proud just to, like, that I've gotten this far. Mm -hmm. And finally, the last thing, when it comes to, you know, what you do or who you are, what's the part that outsiders don't fully appreciate or understand? I would really want people to understand that, like, I help people transform habits and their life. I work with people who've lost their parents. I work with people who have anxiety, with people who have depression, people who have weight to lose. I work with all different kinds of people. And if you have a toolbox and you fill it up with different things, then you're able to work through it. But even when you get to a place of like, I am so good and so happy, like don't lose your tools. Like that is not a time to stop going to therapy. That is not a time to stop working out or stop going on your walks. Like don't stop the things that make you better, even when you are better, because that is what made you better. Mm-hmm. People do it all the time. They're like, oh, I'm good now. I don't need to go to therapy. And it's like, dude, the only reason you're good is because you went to therapy. Yeah. So keep going. You know, I feel inspired. So <laughs> thank you for my free session. <laughs> I'm actually going to send you an invoice. <laughs> you don't think so, but you know, <laughs> no, it's no free ride around here. All right. <laughs> I'm, I'm good. I have everything that I need. Was that like, was that good? I, don't, I think I was like talking in circles. I don't even know. No, that was so good for me. Thank you. <laughs> good. I'm glad. All right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to press stop. Okay. And then we can chat offline for a second and then we'll continue our days. Thank you so much for doing this. Of course. Of course. I had a great time. For more on Ricky, log on to her website, breaktheweight.com. And of course, you can follow her on Instagram at underscore breaktheweight. For more on this conversation in general, you can log on to the UF website under the tab podcast. Click on Ricky Friedman and you'll see a bunch of pictures and of course, a cheat sheet. in case you forgot what you learned here today which you wouldn't right because because you wouldn't thanks for listening um we'll see you next time